Welcome. I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your call. Today, we're joined by Representative Barbara Lee, who is running to become the next senator from California. Congresswoman Lee is the highest ranking black woman currently serving in the House. She's represented Berkeley and Oakland for the past 26 years. Representative Lee is best known nationally for her long opposition to the U.S. invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. She was the first to call for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Her platform includes Medicare for All, student debt cancellation, marijuana conviction relief, a national rent control standard, a repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which restricts government funding for abortion, and more. Under California law, the top two vote-getters in the all-party primary on March 5th will advance to the general election, so two Democrats could face each other in November. What questions do you have for Congress Member Lee? You can send us your questions. That might be better because we have a very short time with her at your call at KALW. Org, or call us 866-798-8255. Good morning, Congresswoman Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning. Glad to be with you. Great to have you. So we have a short time with you, so let's just dive right in here. California sure. is the fifth largest economy in the world, but as you know, we have massive inequality in this state. We've got the homeless crisis, the drug crisis, the high cost of living the poverty rate increased after those COVID benefits expired. What are your plans to tackle these massive issues if you become a senator? Well, thank you so much for that question, because so many of the issues uh, you just laid out, uh, I have experienced uh, throughout my life. And uh, my history and my experience as a, an elected official has informed my agenda and my policies and how I fight for people who really um, are the most vulnerable and living on the edge. In uh, the United States Senate, for example, I intend to fight to make sure that um, we address the unsheltered population and affordable housing in a way that uh, is immediate uh, and that we can get results right away. Uh, I want to hit the ground running, for example, by making sure that People who don't have the resources for a deposit, for example, and moving expenses and, sh- and security deposits in California have a chance to go to a revolving fund that I want to set up with HUD. Because you, you talked about uh, inequality and poverty rates. California uh, is not affordable for working men and women uh, in many parts of the state. And so ten to $15,000 just to rent an apartment or a house, uh, who has that kind of money? And so just to make sure people have decent, safe shelter is part of the issues that we have to deal with when you talk about housing strategy. So my deposit act would establish a revolving fund with HUD to provide um, low-income families, working men and women who can't afford $15,000 for deposit, moving expenses, and first and last month's rent, a way to be able to rent a place and uh, take care of their families. Uh, Secondly, with regard to uh, child care. I um, was on public assistance, lived below the poverty line, on food stamps, on Medi-Cal, and I didn't have enough money for childcare. Then it was very expensive, and the waiting lists were so long, I was not able to get my kids in childcare center, a childcare center until I was in my last year of graduate school. So they had to go to class with me. So I want to uh, complete the strategies that we started. Remember when we had Build Back Better? And two of our senators would not invest what we needed in child care. And so child care and housing are the drivers of much of what we know as the uh, cost of living that make California not affordable. And that's uh, those two priorities are two that I want to hit the ground running with quick fixes that I know I can get bipartisan support for that would really help uh, thousands of Californians. Representative Lee, I'm glad you brought up Build Back Better because we covered that extensively. And, and to think that Senator Manchin and Cinema really had the power to dilute that bill drastically. So you've got all of these plans that so many people across this country support. Universal free child care, cutting the military budget, you know, bringing the tax code even back to taxing the wealthy. I mean, you've been calling for Medicare for all since 2003 before so many politicians were even talking about that. But as you know, it's incredibly difficult to get these things done unless you have 60 Democratic senators on board. 
And so groups like Common Cause say the 60-vote filibuster rule is undemocratic and needs to go. Do you agree with that? Yes, I've been uh, fighting and speaking out in terms of uh, ending the filibuster from day one for years. Uh, first, it's not a law. It's it's a rule that was established uh, to keep black people from moving forward and participating in this democracy. Anytime a rule is based on uh, dis- discrimination against anyone is wrong and it's bad. And so the filibuster has got to go. But secondly, uh, it's important that uh, you understand I didn't just start fighting for universal health care accessible for all uh, in with Medicare for All. When I was in the California legislature, I was the first member to introduce a bill calling for the framework for single payer. Uh, and I've always believed that health care is a basic human right and should not be driven by the profit motive and it should not be an industry. I lived in Great Britain for two years. My son was born in, in London and I believe when when I lived there, at least, the healthcare system was a, a much more humane system that even people who weren't British citizens could still benefit from. And so we need to, in, in this country, we know we have the, the resources for uh, Medicare for All, and I intend to fight for that in the United States Senate, but also I intend to establish a sister Medicare for All caucus. You know, we don't have a Medicare for All caucus in the United States Senate to bring members of the Senate together to to unify around this strategy. And also, when it comes to ending the filibuster, yes, we have to elect more uh, Democratic senators who believe in uh, ending the filibuster because it is discriminatory and it's unfair. And so myself, uh, as a legislator and appropriator and negotiator, I'm also an activist. And I also know how to help organize and work with our external partners and with our organizations to try to weigh in and use our leverage to get members of the Senate to understand why health care should be a basic human right. Today we're speaking with Representative Barbara Lee, who's running to become the next senator from California. We have a question from a listener about Medicare who writes, I'm on Social Security and Medicare costs me $400 a month. Medicare is not free. I'm constantly fighting with Medicare to cover crucial procedures. What will you do to reform the system? Well, Medicare for all, when you look at the legislation, uh, there are many reforms because first you shouldn't have to pay $400 a month uh, for your your health insurance. Uh, Secondly, it's got to be streamlined. And again, uh, we want the reforms for everyone who has Medicare now and future and in the future to be uh, more uh, streamlined and more accessible. And so all of the issues that you raise right now with Medicare, the bill, Medicare for All, has provisions to try to help uh, address the, the current uh, fixes that are, are needed. So it's, it's a big deal. And we've got to start somewhere. Uh, and we have to uh, reduce that $400 a month. That's a lot of money. Uh, uh, and also, we need to expand benefits for Social Security recipients also, which I'm working, you know, Bernie Sanders has a bill and we have one in the House now that I want to work on to provide for Social Security expansion so that uh, Social Security recipients have a bump in their uh, Social Security. So, yes, we've got to fix the problems, but we have to start with we've got to have Medicare for all and start with the framework of health care is a basic human right. And let's get the profit motive and the industry perspective and framework out of health care. Congress member Lee, if you become a senator, you're going to have a lot more power when it comes to the judiciary. We've had Ellie Mistal on from The Nation many times who says that there is only one way out of this crisis, expand the court. He says expanding the Supreme Court may not be easy, but it's the only constitutional way to address the Republican cynical theft of at least two seats. So many of our guests say even if you get a good piece of legislation passed, it could ultimately make its way to the Supreme Court and then be overturned. So where do you stand on expanding the Supreme Court? I have uh, co-sponsored legislation to expand the Supreme Court. Uh, I think it's absolutely necessary. The Constitution does not uh, require a certain amount of uh, justices. And in fact, the world has changed. Our country has changed and we need to expand the Supreme Court. We, We also need term limits. I don't agree with term limits for elected officials because basic to our democracy is you should be able to vote for who you want to vote for, even a Marjorie Taylor Greene, if that's what 
her district wants. Uh, so term limits for elected officials, uh, I think, are fundamentally anti-democratic. But for appointed officials and for Supreme Court justices, yes, we need term limits. And also we need to get the corruption out of the Supreme Court. I mean, I've called for Clarence Thomas to resign several times. Uh, it's driven by corporate um, elite and, and corporations. And whenever you, you have a Supreme Court that is uh, responsible for equal justice under the law, law and have corporate greed driving decisions, then we know that uh, it's fundamentally anti-democratic and we have to have some major reforms if, in fact, we're going to uh, ensure equal justice under the law for everyone. We have a question from Art who says, as a progressive, I totally respect you and your positions on all of the issues and will vote for you. But how can you overcome the perception that you have no chance to defeat Schiff and Porter? That perception could lead people to choosing from between the other two candidates. What can you say to avoid that? Sure. And the perception is uh, driven by, unfortunately, money and uh, what uh, how people win elections, especially progressives, especially uh, women and especially African-American women and women of color is through voter contact, through breaking through with the voters by talking to voters, going directly to them, which, of course, requires money. But by um, making sure voters know who you are, what you stand for, what you've done and what you intend to do to make life better for them in the Senate. No one says it's easy. But let me tell you, I have Gen Z for change, uh, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal group of young people uh, on the ground helping me uh, with voter contact and getting people to the polls. We're phone banking now. I have six of the eight constitutional officers in California. I have uh, our revolution, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, beat uh, our President Biden in the primary by 10 points. Our revolution has endorsed me and they're running my campaign. I have Working Families Party. I have the LGBTQ plus uh, Democratic Club, the majority of them in California, the Young Dems. I have phenomenal endorsements, local mayors, assembly members, senators, people who who are trusted messengers. And so this is a grassroots people powered campaign and the perception, you know, in California, of course, it's a big state uh, and it costs a lot of money. But as with Karen Bass, who ran for mayor of Los Angeles, she raised and spent about 9 million, her opponent, a hundred million. And guess who's mayor of Los Angeles, mayor Bass. So I'm not saying California is Los Angeles, but I'm also saying that uh, if campaigns are organized and have the resources to organize and get your message out, then uh, we can win and get into the top two. But the perception uh, is uh, it's based on money. It's based on how polls are, are written and, and, and how they're conducted. And in fact, it's based on who influences who. And it's an establishment type of um, public finance system that allows for corporate money, dark money, we have to overturn Citizens United. And finally, I'll just say we have to get to public financing of campaigns because the perception that a progressive black woman uh, can't win uh, is because there's money. And, you know, the campaign finance system is is uh, discriminatory, is skewed. And uh, that's going to be a perception because, <laughs> you know, you go in circles that black women, women, women of color don't have access to all of the money that other candidates have. And so I say, though, we need to long term get rid of uh, corporate money in uh, campaigns. I don't accept corporate money either. Uh, and we have to get to a point where we level the playing field when it comes to money. But uh, just know that uh, we are fighting hard. We have a great organization. We're getting our people to the polls. When people know me, the undecideds come our way. We're phone banking every night. We're canvassing and it's a people powered campaign. And that's what it should be about. That's how democracy should work. We're talking with Representative Barbara Lee, who's running to become the next senator from California. I know we have just a few minutes left. If you become a senator, how will you use that platform to speak out on U.S. foreign policy? I mean, to think three days after 9-11, you were the only member of Congress to vote against the bill that granted George W. Bush those powers to invade Afghanistan. You received death threats for that. 
you were right there in the front calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, we've done many shows about this, Representative Lee. It does not get enough media attention, unfortunately, but Pentagon spending has totaled over $14 trillion since the start of the U.S. Invasions, uh, US invasion of Afghanistan as people across this country struggle to make ends meet and struggle to eat. So how will you use your platform to speak out on U.S. foreign policy? Sure. Being one of 100, you have a large megaphone, a large platform. A couple of things. I have a broad and deep background in national security and foreign policy. Uh, I'm, I'm just not a, an establishment. Uh, pers- I, my perspective is not establishment because I believe in preventing wars and putting our investments into development and diplomacy and preventing our, our military from having to, uh, you know, go to war because it's... Uh, not the way the planet will survive. So, yes, I voted against the authorization to use force right after 9-11. It was a 60-word overly broad authorization that not only gave President Bush the authority to go to war in perpetuity, but any president subsequently. And I'm trying to actually repeal it now with Republican support. But look at the, you mentioned the, the money, look at the loss of blood and our young men and women who went to war. Uh, look at um, what health and long-term impacts our veterans have as a result of this war. And there was no military solution, which I said early on. Uh, Knowing the history of Afghanistan, there was no military solution. And I think President Biden acknowledged that also. Fast forward to now. Again, uh, I've condemned uh, the Hamas attacks and will continue to. Israel deserves to live secure and peace and security without the threat of terrorism. And Hamas must be disabled. And and there's no way I would uh, say anything other than that. So it is important, though, for me to reiterate the fact that we need a permanent ceasefire because this catastrophic, what has happened to 30,000 now and more uh, women, men, children who've been killed in the process of this war, which is a violation of human rights as a humanitarian catastrophe. The only way that uh, that the hostages will be released is through a diplomatic and um, political solution. Uh, the only way that uh, we will be able to stop this war from escalating in the region, which is beginning to do with the United States, unfortunately, embroiled in it now, is through a diplomatic and uh, political solution. And what is taking place is counterproductive to Israel's security. And so, yes, we have got to get the hostages released. I called for that early on, but you can only get that done with a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire. And so in the Senate, let me tell you, uh, we need different points of views, different perspectives, a different lens on our national security and our foreign policy, on climate, on racial equity, on economic inequality. All of these issues require someone who has the experience, who knows how to stand and not be bullied or be pushed back by her own party sometimes, and who can help raise the issue so people understand what is taking place because we have got to get uh, on a path to global peace and security. Our young people deserve that, and that's why I'm running for the Senate. And young people tell me all the time, they say, we know that you're not running for yourself. You're running for us. And so given that, and I'm so humbled by their support, that it's my duty and responsibility to talk about peace. People don't like to use the P word, peace, and to talk about how we fix and and uh, protect our democracy. I've been doing that uh, all of my life as an African-American woman. And so the perspective, the lens, the fight that I have to mount in the Senate Hello. is a fight that no other candidate can mount uh, in the way I have in the past and will in the future. Representative Barbara Lee is running to become the next senator from California. Representative Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find more about Representative Lee's platform at yourcallradio.org. We're going to spend the rest of the hour talking about her record. Um, Just to let you know, we invited Representatives Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff to join us for the full hour to open the lines to take your questions. Uh, Representative Barbara Lee, 
came on for almost 30 minutes or so. Uh, Representative Katie Porter, unfortunately, her team declined our invitation, but we will talk about her record for 30 minutes tomorrow. And then we'll have Representative Adam Schiff on for 30 minutes on Thursday. So we'd love to hear from you. Because of the system in California, the top two vote getters on March 5th will be on the ballot in November. It could be two Democrats. And one of these Democrats is going to win, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, or Adam Schiff. And the two who lose will no longer be in the House. So uh, they're really taking a chance here by running for Senate. So we'd love to hear from you. Who are you planning to vote for? What issues are most important to you? Um, what have you been following in this race? What has surprised you? It's interesting to think that when Hillary Clinton was running, uh, Bernie Sanders actually won the primary in California. And right now, according to the polls, Adam Schiff is at the top. And then Katie Porter uh, is neck and neck with Steve Garvey, the Republican running, and Barbara Lee is in fourth. So what are your thoughts on that? We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the Senate race and who you plan to vote for. Or maybe you haven't made up your mind yet. What issues are most important to you? 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. Our next guest, Benjamin Oreskes, is a politics reporter with the LA Times. He recently wrote a piece called From Working with Black Panthers to Calling for Ceasefire, Barbara Lee Stands by Her Beliefs. Hi, Benjamin. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's very interesting to think that Bernie Sanders won the primary in California. I mean, that was a major victory when he ran against Hillary Clinton. Barbara Lee is very close to Bernie Sanders when it comes to policies, and yet she's really lagging behind the three other candidates. What explains her low ranking? It's a really good question. I think that you have to kind of look at Barbara Lee's career in a, with a longer lens when thinking about that. Bernie Sanders, when he ran for president, had sort of captured the attention uh, of a public and particularly younger voters who felt disaffected in the aftermath of the recession in 2008, 9, and 10. Uh, and he was a longtime member of the House and then of the Senate who had sort of staked out a uh, sort of deeply held belief uh, in, in a skepticism of the banking industry, of, of, the, of how the economy was structured and in this unfairness. He was also very sophisticated in how he presented himself online, uh, how he fundraised. Um, and, and I think that is the key difference between him and Representative Lee, who has a similar value set, uh, but doesn't have that sort of national aura that a person that, that like Bernie Sanders had. And, and that uh, is hurting her in a race where she's facing off against Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, both who have massive fundraising bases from becoming national figures in their own right, Schiff for taking on Donald Trump in very different in, in various different ways, and, and Porter for her viral moments uh, working on the House Oversight Committee. Right, because Schiff and Porter are on the cable shows on a regular basis, and you just don't see Barbara Lee on the cable shows very much. Yeah, and I think that that has a lot to do with uh, just sort of the moment they were brought up in politics. Uh, uh, Katie Porter is someone who has been very adept at using things like TikTok to get her message out there. Her whiteboard is something that she's very much known for. Uh, with Adam Schiff, you feel like every time you turn on MSNBC or CNN, you see him. So again, uh, you know, they're speaking to just much broader audiences. Whereas Barbara Lee, who does have a national reputation for her vote in the, in the aftermath of 9-11 against war off authorization in Afghanistan. She's beloved by progressives, uh, particularly in California, but also nationally. She just never took that next step to become that national figure in the way that Porter and Schiff did. And, and in a state like California, uh, 22 million voters, it's it's really hard to be everywhere. That that sort of lack of a national profile is hurting her. She's not very well known in Southern California. She's done a lot of campaigning down here. Uh, and, and yet it, it, she hasn't been able to raise the money like Porter and Schiff have. 
And it's so expensive to get out there in a state like California. We're going to take a quick break. Today, we are talking about Congresswoman Barbara Lee's record. Tomorrow, we will talk about Representative Katie Porter's record. Unfortunately, her team declined our invitation. And then on Thursday, we'll be joined by Representative Adam Schiff for the first 30 minutes. We're joined by Benjamin Oreskes, a politics reporter for the LA Times. You can find the profile he recently wrote from working with Black Panthers to calling for ceasefire. Barbara Lee stands by her beliefs. It's at yourcallradio.org. We'll be back after this. This is Your Call. I'm Rose Aguilar. As we've said, tomorrow we'll discuss Representative Katie Porter's race to become the next senator from California. Her team declined our invitation, so she will not be live, but we still think it's important to talk about her record. Then we'll discuss Proposition 1, which would change mental health laws in California. Governor Gavin Newsom says it'll help combat the state's homeless crisis. Opponents say it'll result in service cuts. Representative Adam Schiff will be on the show for the first 30 minutes on Thursday. If you have any questions or comments about Representative Barbara Lee's record, we're speaking with Benjamin Oreskes, a politics reporter with the LA Times, who recently profiled Representative Lee. We'd also love to hear your thoughts about the Senate race overall. I mean, you've got Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff. Depending on what happens on March 5th, the top two vote-getters will be on the November ballot. And that means two of the Democrats will no longer be serving in the House. So have you made up your mind yet? How are you deciding who to vote for? We'd love to hear from you. 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. A caller who didn't want to stand the line said they will not vote for Adam Schiff because he does not support a ceasefire in Gaza. Benjamin, Before the break, Representative Lee was talking about why she called for a ceasefire in Gaza. As you report, Schiff and Porter both declined to take that position initially, and then Porter later came to support a ceasefire. Schiff remains opposed to one. Does he still remain opposed to a ceasefire? As far as I know, yeah. As recently as last week when I talked to him about it, he did. Uh, He has broadly followed uh, sort of the policies and views of President Biden, who, ha- as we have seen, is working or his team is working very hard to kind of get a negotiated deal between Hamas and and the Israeli government, but but has not called for an unconditional ceasefire. Uh, you know, Barbara Lee in literally the day after the uh, terrorist attack uh, in Israel called for one. Uh, uh, that that was a moment where. Katie Porter and Adam Schiff were both unwilling to do that. About a month later, uh, as we saw the invasion of uh, of Gaza escalate, uh, Katie Porter sort of took a new position, talking about a need for a negotiated end of hostilities. Uh, again, though, to your caller's uh, sort of complaint about Adam Schiff, that person is describing what is a real sort of fissure in the Democratic Party right now at a national level and, and in this race. Uh, we have lots of voters in California who are very angry about this issue. Um, we saw this at the Democratic convention, the state convention in Sacramento. There were a thousand protesters, uh, roughly speaking, about this issue. Uh, it's one that has really animated people and, and for good reason. Right. And uh, when you look at Congresswoman Lee's foreign policy record, I mean, she has stood alone many times. She received death threats for being the only member of Congress to not give George W. Bush the authority to invade Afghanistan. That's actually that's absolutely right. Uh, I think it's it's good to look at uh, Lee's bio to really understand where that view comes from. This is a woman who came of age in Oakland in the 1970s and late 60s. She worked with the Black Panthers uh, and she watched, you know, American adventurism abroad uh, while communities like hers were suffering. There wasn't enough investment. There was tons of racism, uh, police brutality. And, and that, I think, really shaped her view of these issues. She went on to work for a congressman named Ron Dellums, who's like a sort of progressive hero to many. He represented the East Bay for a long time. And much of Dellums' views were shaped by a skepticism of huge amounts of spending by the Pentagon. This is an issue she has also taken up. And I think it's it's very much her POV on this is that we shouldn't be spending money like this abroad if we're not dealing with the problems at home. That being said, Barbara Lee is someone who 
is been willing to send military aid to a place like Ukraine. In previous moments, she has uh, voted for military aid to Israel. It's not as if she's completely blanket against these things. She's just, I would say, more skeptical than most of her colleagues are on these issues. We have an email from Hassan who says Barbara Lee is the only one of four candidates who supports a ceasefire to save lives. The others do not. If you care about human lives, Congresswoman Lee is the only logical choice. In your, the profile you wrote of Congresswoman Lee, I mean, you go back to her childhood, which is important because, of course, this shapes so many of us. Born in El Paso, she talks about how her mother, Mildred, nearly died during childbirth. When she was a teenager, her family moved to the San Fernando Valley, where she became the first black cheerleader at her high school after her mom urged her to enlist the support of the local chapter of the NAACP. Barbara Lee later became pregnant. And since abortion was then illegal in California, as it now is in many conservative states, as you write, her mom sent her back to Texas to cross the border with $200 to obtain an abortion in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. She often talks about that now um, because of what's happening in this country. What did she tell you about what she wants to do about the fact that abortion is illegal or close to illegal in half of the country? She is someone, and I would say like all of the Democrats running in this race, who has made it very clear that the decisions by the Supreme Court and by conservative states in this country are unacceptable. Uh, she very much thinks that uh, Roe v. Wade should be codified. She thinks that many more protections need to be put in place uh, to protect women uh, who are in situations like she was as a teenager. Uh, you know, another part of her bio that I think is notable is that her father was an Air Force serviceman. He was someone who 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 had been in the military, had served abroad. And, and I think that also shaped her experiences. You know, she views her like skepticism of military interventions through a prism of patriotism, through a prism of, you know, putting people's lives on the line. And I, I think both those uh, influences in her life, her father and her mother are essential to understanding, you know, who she is now. And also the fact that she floated in and out of homelessness, staying yeah. in cheap hotels to keep her young boys off the streets. I mean, these days we've got multimillionaires in Congress. It's very rare to have a politician in D.C. who experienced homelessness firsthand. Barbara Lee is, you know, as we established at the beginning of this, struggling in the polls. But she talks about the importance, obviously, of having uh, black voices in the Senate. She would be, I think, the third elected black woman. Uh, she wants that history is very significant to her. And the reason is it's significant is because of the experiences she's had, whether it's, you know, as you said, her mother nearly dying during childbirth, uh, something that happens to black women far more than it does to white women, uh, whether it's homelessness, uh, whether it's sur being surveilled by the FBI, which is something that occurred to her when she was working with the Black Panthers or volunteering with the Black Panthers in the 1970s. Uh, she views those experiences as essential and, and, and they shape the voice that she brings to Congress and, and that she would bring to the Senate. Uh, that message hasn't resonated as much as she would like, obviously, but it is a powerful one. Today, we're speaking with Benjamin Oreskes. He covers state and national politics for the LA Times, and you can find the profile he wrote of Representative Barbara Lee at yourcallradio.org. If you're just joining us, we spent the first 25 or so minutes with Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and now we are talking more about her record. We have a number of callers on the line, so let's hear from Andy in Redwood City. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Do we have Andy? Hi. Hi, go ahead. Hi, Rose, and uh, welcome to your guest. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to support Katie Porter. She's my number one choice. Barbara Lee would be number two if it was a uh, true uh, ranked choice voting. It would be nice, but it's not. Uh, Barbara Lee has been there for a long time, and even though I, I agree with her on most of the votes she takes, I don't like the way she has sucked up the leadership in the Democratic Party. Particularly, I, I cannot stand the democratically. They just destroy progressive causes. They destroy progressive candidates, and that's Pelosi, Joaquin Jeffrey, Schumer, Clyburn. They're awful. Uh, also, Steny Hoyer, when he was there. They, they, they are awful. They've just destroyed the working class in this country. 
And uh, I, I love Katie Porter because she sticks it to the Democratic leadership. They don't like her. They don't want her there because she takes on the corporate interests that fund the corporate part of the Democratic Party. And I know she's gotten a lot of complaints from corporate CEOs and people in uh, high oligarchic positions because they can't stand her because she makes them accountable, and she takes them on. And I love her for that, and I want to see her in there. Thank you for that, Andy. Uh, Much of California's congressional delegation, including Nancy Pelosi, are backing Adam Schiff. Ben, were you able to talk with Representative Barbara Lee about the Democratic Party? I I mean, you've got people, well, like Barbara Lee, but Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, so many of these politicians have been in office for decades. And, you know, we've got so many problems. I mean, the state of California has so many crises. Were you able to talk to her about that? Yeah. And, and to your caller's point, uh, I actually wrote a profile of Katie Porter as well. And, and she noted uh, th- th- this issue that he's bringing up. And, and, you know, Barbara Lee is someone who, while being very much an outsider ideologically in many respects, had very warm relations with a lot of these people. Uh, I, I think about an interview I recently did with Barbara Boxer, and, and I'll answer your question, where she described Adam Schiff as like a son and Barbara Lee as like a sister. He, she ended up endorsing Adam Schiff. But, you know, she had deep ties to all of these people. And I think it's sort of what made her successful in Congress in some respects. She she was able to move legislation on, a, on many issues because of it. Uh, she was close to Dianne Feinstein. I, I think that she has also had many endorsements come her way. You know, the mayor of L.A., Karen Bass, Rob Bonta, the attorney general have endorsed her. They have really uh, the sort of establishment, if you will, of California politics has backed either her or Adam Schiff, whereas Katie Porter has sort of been on an island. And it has been because of her willingness and proclivity for sort of running against the institutions, running against Congress. Uh, Barbara Lee has been unwilling to do that. She's been unwilling sort of to attack her colleagues. She, she, she's struggled in some respects to present contrast because of that. She's very much wanting to just put her message out there. And, and I think it's maybe part of the reason why she's uh, not doing as well as the others. The, the bigger reason being that she has less money. It was interesting to learn that Dolores Huerta, the co-founder of the United Farm Workers, endorsed Barbara Lee. But after meeting with all of the candidates, the union itself endorsed Adam Schiff. Again, a reflection of Lee's deep ties to progressive activists in the state. But Adam Schiff is someone who has done a lot uh, in Congress for labor. Uh, Not that Katie Porter or, or Barbara Lee hasn't, but, you know, these unions, they look at who can win and they look at who has the best chance. And they also look at who's going to have the most influence. And that that's a huge part of this. I mean, having the backing of Nancy Pelosi, having the backing of many, many of the largest statewide unions, uh, you know, kind of reinforces this view that it's his race to lose. Let's go to another caller. Thanks for that question. Patrick in Richmond. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say I'm a big supporter of Barbara Lee. I think she's been such an amazing model of judgment and real leadership for a long time. And I think it's kind of sad that she has such a small chance of winning this race um, because of money, it seems like, is the biggest factor. And, um, you know, this is an opportunity to to elevate an African-American woman to one of the highest positions of power, which is so, you know frustratingly rare in this country and uh so you know i'm kind of sad about what i expect to see happen um and you know i i don't watch cable news but when my parents are in town it's on and i do constantly see adam schiff and katie poor on msnbc and i'm wondering if barbara lee is not on those shows with anywhere near the frequency by choice or because of some other reason and I guess that's my question. Yeah, thank you for that, Patrick. I'm guessing it's because she's not invited. Uh, given that Adam Schiff was on the January 6th committee, Katie Porter takes on corporate executives unlike almost anyone. What are your thoughts on that, Ben? It's a really good question. I, I think the 
ecosystem of talk or, you know, cable news is a very unique one. I, I do think it's to some extent a product of the sort of what is the news of the day and the news of the day for the last year, last six years, depending on how you think about it, has been uh, the sort of indictments, uh, legal troubles, and foibles of one Donald Trump. The person who has been at the center of that, along with others, is Adam Schiff, and he has uh, sort of benefited from from that uh, in terms of kind of garnering attention uh, and, and, and using that as a way to fundraise. And he's, you know, endeared himself to a lot of Californians as a result. Uh, similarly, Katie Porter is someone who has utilized the social media ecosystem that we exist in now to great effect. And, and, and I think Lee has been less adept at that. Um, someone who is not as much speaking to the national issue of the day. That said, you know, Barbara Lee is, I think, part of a, a lawsuit against Trump right now. She was an early endorsement, endorser of impeachment. So it, it, there is a broader question there of why she's not more in the news. I, I don't have the best theory of that, but I think just the sort of centrality of these other figures in the context of a thing like Trump uh, it, it is a real big reason. Well, and the fact of the matter is the cable shows are obsessed with Trump. I mean, he still obviously makes them money, brings in ratings. Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC talks about Trump constantly, and Adam Schiff is on his show all the time talking about Trump. They they don't talk about really any other issue, which is sad because so much is going on. Uh, but I, 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 you do wonder if the January 6th committee hadn't happened or if Trump was never in office. Uh, a lot of people probably would not know much about Adam Schiff at this point. So for Barbara Lee, it's it's just bad timing for her, given how the system works. I think that's true to a point. I think it, it does sort of overlook that Adam Schiff has been in Congress since, what, 2000 or 2001. He has real deep ties uh, in his district. Uh, you know, he's very popular in Southern California because of work he's done to bring, met, uh, you know, light rail uh, to help, you know, fund you know, new homeless uh, shelters. He, 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 he had been a very kind of uh, effective member of Congress, one who was much more focused on his community. So yeah, I don't know if he would be doing as well in a Senate race, but he, he wasn't just a total sort of irrelevant person before this. He definitely yeah, had I, some Southern California bona fides. I didn't mean to imply that. As you said, Barbara Lee's not very well known in Southern California and Adam Schiff probably wouldn't be very well known up here in Northern California if it weren't for the January 6th committee. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go to our next caller. Let's go to Greg in Palo Alto. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. I'm pretty conflicted about this. Um, I, I've liked Barbara Lee for ages. Um, I'm sorry to see that she's probably not going to make it at being in the position she's in. Uh, Schiff, I, I wouldn't vote for Schiff based solely on his stance on a ceasefire in uh, Palestine. Uh, I just can't see anybody who wouldn't support that at this point. And if they did, uh, I, you know, I couldn't vote for them. I, I will have to look at Porter much more closely. Uh, I like the fact that she is maybe anti-establishment. They're, the Democratic Party needs to be shaken up. Uh, we're not going to get anywhere. And uh, Biden's position on the ceasefire, as well as Schiff, uh, you know, could prove, prove to be serious problems for the Democrats in November. So uh, I'm going to have to give Porter uh, a much closer look. And I'm sorry that Lee, I just think, you know, one other, one other point. Barbara Lee is 77 years old. If she, get, if she decided to run for one term, I think she should have made that plea to Newsom, and she'd be 83 by the time she finished her first her, her term in office. I think that would be a good idea because I think there should be a maximum age for retirement for all these governmental officials, including the Supreme Court. I can't see anybody being over there over 75 years and serving, especially they've been serving for 20 or 30 years. So thanks. Well, thank you for that, Greg. And so just to let you know, on Thursday, Adam Schiff will be on for the first 30 minutes, and we will ask him about his views on what's happening in Israel and Gaza. As we reported on Friday, on February 22nd, 13 Jewish members of the House, all Democrats, called for a temporary ceasefire, including Congress members Jerry Nadler, Dan Goldman, Jamie Raskin, 
And, and Adam Schiff's name is not on this list. And so we will ask him why he did not join his colleagues in calling for a temporary ceasefire. And then tomorrow we will be talking about Katie Porter's record. Her team unfortunately declined our invitation to join us. Thank you, Greg. Art writes in, what do you think of the tactic that Adam Schiff has used in elevating Steve Garvey's profile to artificially inflate Garvey standing in the public eye and simultaneously diminishing Katie Porter? So for people who aren't familiar with this, I'm just reading from Politico. Uh, Adam Schiff is making crystal clear who he'd rather run against in November, releasing a new TV ad that contrasts himself with Republican former Major League Baseball player Steve Garvey. What are your thoughts on this, Ben? Yeah, let's just break this down a little bit. You know, Adam Schiff, again, as we've said multiple times, has tons of money. I mean, I think in the last six weeks, he spent about $23 million on television advertising. And much of that money has gone into ads that act like Katie Porter doesn't exist. And that's completely his prerogative. He's doing nothing illegal. Maybe it's unethical. It's not really my place to say. But but the point here is that there are still something like 22% of all registered voters in California are Republican. I think it's about twice as many are Democrats. So if the Republican votes in this state consolidate, that number can still get you into that top two general election that you were describing at the beginning of the show. And so Adam Schiff is trying to speak to these Republicans in the state by saying that Steve Garvey is too conservative for California. That's the tagline of the ad. He may or may not be too conservative for California, but for Republicans in the state, he's probably exactly the right kind of conservative. And so this sort of three-dimensional chess, if you will, has the effect of boosting Garvey so that when they get into the next round and run against one another head-to-head in November, it's sort of a cakewalk for Schiff. And and that's because of that Democratic registration advantage. If he were to run against Porter, it would be much tougher sledding. Uh, She is, as we've talked about, very popular and has a huge following. You you could see, um, you could imagine a lot of the Barbara Lee voters breaking her way. Uh, So this ad, and and we've seen, you know, outside uh, super PAC spending that has, has done similar things, um, has had a massive impact. We've seen Steve Garvey's numbers sort of explode in the last month or six weeks since they went on the air. Uh, and it's made the race uh, much tighter and, and it's reduced the chances of Katie Porter uh, or Barbara Lee, for that matter, making the runoff. Well, it, because if it's Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, it's, that race could get pretty ugly and very expensive. And, and not just ugly. I mean, it, it's it's there's a, a, you know Katie Porter is very popular. She she could she could beat him. She could pull together a coalition that looks a lot different than his. She does very well with younger voters who are more likely probably to vote in a November rather than in March, which is sort of a, you know a random time to be voting. Uh, you know turnout definitely goes up during uh, a general election, particularly when the president is on the ballot. So I, I think that there is a lot of strategy and sort of gamesmanship. To be clear. Adam Schiff is not the first person to do this. Gavin Newsom has done this, several other statewide officials. It it is a product of our unique top two primaries. And it's one that, you know, some people don't like, but but it is it's his money to spend. We have another email from a listener who says, Barbara Lee speaks for me. This is a difficult primary. So many polls show her running behind, but she speaks the truth. She's principled, energetic, responsible, and honest. She stood alone against post-9-11 invasions and giving Bush sole power. Uh, Leslie writes, can you comment on the advantage Barbara Lee may have due to her seniority in the House to hold an important chairmanship if the Democrats regain control of that body? Uh, well, she won't be in the House if the Democrats reclaim uh, control. She, she's not running for her House seat. A woman named Latifa Simon is running in a not very competitive primary right now. Uh, that, that though, is a, 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 a source of agita for many members or many elected officials, uh, many sort of political insiders who are looking at three very, very sort of stout Democrats who now won't be part of the house anymore and, and whose seats particularly katie porter's the the, the, de- the national democratic apparatus is going to have to spend money to protect right i wonder leslie if you realize that barbara lee if she loses this race will no longer be in the house or if you're talking about what role she will play in the senate but but what are your thoughts about that what if she did win this race given that she has been in the house 
for a long time representing Oakland and Berkeley, uh, 26 years. What are your thoughts about the role she would play in the Senate? Let's go back to something one of your other callers talked about, which is her age. Uh, you know, Barbara Lee is older. She's in her late 70s. And, and the prospect of her serving multiple terms in the Senate is a small one, just given how long people live. Uh, the Senate, like the House, is a body that is predicated on seniority. She sort of rebuts that by saying she can walk in there with all this time spent in the House and she'll kind of like hit the ground running. That's not how committee assignments work. They, they are doled out, and part of the way they are doled out is based on seniority. So uh, I think it's something that many voters have looked at and said, you know, we had a woman who was in this seat until she was 90. Uh, we watched her kind of suffer and, and, and not be able to do the job toward, till the end. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I have sort of picked up that that has been a sort of fomenting issue in this race. Before we let you go, Ben, given that you spent some time with Representative Barbara Lee, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience that you learned about her that's not getting much media attention? I think she is just sort of an amazing political figure to look at and and watch how politics has changed in this country. You know, this is a woman who really started out on the fringe in terms of her ideology, her anti-war positions, her positions on cannabis, her positions on Cuba. These were all views that were very, frankly, extreme. And we have watched the political left, sorry, the political center move to her, a similar way that we watched it happen with Bernie Sanders on issues like Medicare for all. And that that sort of lonely stand she took, she's been vindicated in many respects, even if she doesn't end up winning this race. So she's an important figure in California politics and national politics and sort of dissecting her life, even if she doesn't end up you know, prevailing in this race is a fruitful one because it gives us lessons about how uh, progressive ideology has changed and, and influenced how our, our country is being run right now. Benjamin Oreskes is a politics reporter with the Los Angeles Times. He recently wrote a piece called From Working with Black Panthers to Calling for Ceasefire, Barbara Lee Stands by Her Beliefs. Benjamin, thanks so much for your reporting and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coming up tomorrow, we will talk about Representative Katie Porter's record. We'll also talk about Proposition 1. And then on Thursday, Representative Adam Schiff will join us for the first 30 minutes. And then we will also discuss his record. Thanks to Malihe Razazan for producing today's show. Thanks to Kevin Vance for engineering our show. And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.